Hello and welcome to Wibbly Wobbly Chatty Watty, the ultimate Doctor Who rewatch podcast. I'm your host, Dean, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend and my good co-host, Andrea. Hello, Andrea. How are you doing this week? And what is your favourite colour? I'd have to say green, and I'm doing well, thank you. What's your favourite colour? I'm doing fine as well, thank you, green. I didn't actually ask you how you are. I asked your favourite colour. And I said green. That's something that we share in common. I didn't know that. Wow, bonding. Yeah, moving on. The next, the other thing we share in common is a weekly Doctor Who podcast we do where each week we choose an episode of Doctor Who and we talk about it. We're going in order, starting all the way from Series 1 with Christopher Eccleston. And we've moved so far on since then. We're now all the way at Series 2, Episode 8, The Impossible Planet. That's crazy. We've moved so fast. Yes, well, we start every week with a sentence summary about what we think the plot of the episode was. And every single week we remember to write our sentence summaries. And for that reason, I'm going to ask Andrea to go first. Of course. The beast and his army shall rise from the pit to make war against God. Oh, sorry. That was ood. The Doctor and Rose become stranded on a sanctuary base and the devil possesses some bald spaghetti guys. Hey, 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 I think that was spoilers for next week, but I'll let you off because I'm about to spoil next week's episode as well. It's the devil or whatever. Okay, my sentence summary is as follows. Okay, let me just think of one. I knew it. I knew it. Um, The Doctor and Rose are on a station with some mates. And also, this was written down in my notes right in front of me. I liked it. I mean, it's not really a station and they're not really their mates but other than that it was spot on do you have some general information for us you're not really my mate of course i have general information for my and my acquaintance okay this episode was written by matt jones who only wrote this two-parter for doctor who he wrote one episode for torchwood but that's all he's done for who apart from that we don't care about him after next week never going to talk about him again not interested Goodbye, Matt Jones. What a boring name you've got. Okay. Whoa. Next is James Strong. He is our director, and he's got a better name. Uh, And he directs seven more episodes of Doctor Who and two episodes of Tortured. Seven. This episode was released on the 3rd of June, 2006. And what happened on that day, you're asking, well, I'll, I'll tell you. Ben Affleck's younger brother, Casey Affleck, got married. Wow, I really don't care. And do you know who else got married on that day? Sorry, Casey Affleck, I don't know where that came from. Who else got married then? The Kiss guitarist, Tommy Thayer. Wow, I care even less about that. They did not even marry each other. That's they disappointing. They different people on the same day in a joint wedding. Surely there are rules against that. Wait, in a joint wedding? No, it, it was oh. a joint wedding, but... They were unaware of the other wedding and they were in different parts of the world slash America. I'm unsure on the specifics. How can it be a joint wedding if the people who are getting married don't know that it's a joint wedding and it's in different parts of the world? I have my methods. I'm sure you do. I think I shall go forward with the fun fact section of this podcast. Hey, Andrew, can I interrupt you for a second, please? No, you can't. I would just like to ask you to go forward with your fun fact section this week, please, because that's what I would like to do right now. 
I'm glad it's what you want to do because if it wasn't then my purpose on this podcast is basically no longer a thing my first fun fact is that this is the first episode of the revival series not to have any scenes on earth or in its orbit did you think about that dean no i didn't think about that that's very interesting but now it's all i can think about wow my powers are endless i think it's really interesting that this is the first episode that doesn't have any real connection to earth visually and it sort of heightens the claustrophobia of that base under siege plot so i'm a big fan of that decision another fun fact is that in earlier drafts of the script Braxococophalopatorians were in the place of the ood and believed the beast was their god who could free them from their slavery did you know that what do you think the episode would have been like if those roles had been that would have been a million times better could you imagine the distant slovene relatives just hanging out on a ship letting off some farts having a good time oh i would have killed someone to watch that episode and that person would be you andrea that became very sinister very quickly i love the ud so i don't mind but i think the reason russell t davis decided to change this was that it would have distracted from the storyline if a previously met alien had returned which i think is a fair enough sort of reason I want the Slovene to steal from every storyline, though, so good on them. I can't argue with that. Shots of Scooty floating in space were filmed at Pinewood Studios, and this was the first time, putting aside a comic relief special, that the series had ever filmed there. Don't know if anyone asked, but there you go. There's a Pinewood Studios fact for you. And the final fun fact of my fun, 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 fun fact section is that the planet Croptor, which obviously is the planet upon which the sanctuary base is stationed, this planet was originally just going to be called Hell. How simple. That's pretty interesting. In this section, Dean and Andrea talk about trivia, but we don't talk about it. We ask questions about it. And this week, Andrea is asking me questions and I listen to the questions and I answer them correctly. And if I don't answer them correctly, I cry. And yeah, Andrea, please take it away. Honestly, Dean's crying fits after he gets a question wrong in this section. They last about, I don't know, would you say 15 minutes, Dean? Um, according to the recording, it's normally around 17 and a half I stop. Right, well, that must be hard for you. Here are three questions relating to the classic series and three which, well, don't. Question number one. The Ood come from the same planetary system as which classic Who aliens? A. The Mara B. The Menoptera C, the Centurites, or D, the Rutans? Well, of course, I will have to go with my old mates, the Centurites. I didn't know you'd met them. They're great guys, aren't they? Yes. The connection between the Ood and the Centurites is more firmly established in the planet of the Ood in Series 4 with the whole Ood sphere and Centurite sphere and things like that, telepathy type things. I haven't really 
got much information about the centurites, but yes, they first appeared in Doctor Who in 1964, and they've got a connection to the Ood, and that's why I asked this question. I'm rambling. Question two. The voice of the beast is provided by Gabriel Wolf. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Who also appeared in a classic Who episode. Which one? A. Planet of Evil. B. Pyramids of Mars. C. The Android Invasion. Or D. The Brain of Morbius. I'd have to go with, let me think about this one, the Pyramids of Bloody Mars. Wow, you did think about that very well. Yes, he played Sutek the Destroyer, who was also known, funnily enough, as Satan in the Pyramids of Mars in 1975. You're doing very well at this. I thought I might be able to catch you out with a classic question. Nothing can catch me out. Question three. Besides the obvious, what is the connection between this episode and the classic series? A. Mr. Jefferson was also the name of a character in The Curse of Peladon in 1972. B. Scenes from the planet Crop Tour were filmed in a quarry. C. The director, James Strong, is the grandson of John Pertwee. Or D. The Impossible Planet is also the title of a Peter Davison story. Okay, these are quite specific, but thinking about Classic Who... I'm going to go with the quarry option because it feels like it was filmed in a quarry here and I know it was filmed in quarries in Classic Who. Classic Who basically lived in a quarry, let's be honest. And yes, scenes from the planet crop tour were also captured in that nice, crumbly, dusty environment. Cool, cool, cool. Now on to the three questions which aren't related to the Classic series. Question four. The Sanctuary base was, well, aptly based on the spaceship featuring in which film? A. The Black Hole, 1979. B. 20 Million Miles to Earth, 1957. C. 2001 A Space Odyssey, 1968. Or D. Alien, 1979. The only two of them I've seen is Alien and 2001 A Space Odyssey. And I can picture... 2001 Space Odyssey and I don't think it looks like that so I'm going to go with Alien Damn it I was banking on you having not seen some of those films it was Alien although I mean it could have looked like a spaceship in one of the other two films because I haven't seen them so who knows anyway Question five. On which of Russell T. Davis's programs did Matt Jones, who you said you don't care about, we're never going to talk about again after this, but this question is important because of him. Question five. On which of Russell T. Davis's programs did Matt Jones work as the script editor? A. Queer as Folk. B. Years and Years. C. Casanova. Or D. The Second Coming. Hmm. Sorry, can I have the options another time, please? Of course. A, Queer as Folk. B, Years and Years. C, Casanova. Or D, The Second Coming. I will go with Queer as Folk. Damn it, you're on such a roll. Yes, it was Queer as Folk. What is happening? That must have been a guess. It was a guess. It wasn't entirely a guess because I knew 
that Russell T. Davis made queer as folk? Well, he actually, you know, made all of those programs. Hence why I led the question with which of Russell T. Davis's programs did Matt Jones work on? But, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, but I knew he worked on queer as folk, so that's why I chose that one. Right. Perfect logic. And finally, question six. My personal favourite. Whilst possessed by the beast, the Ood say, I shall become manifest. Which villain, who we have already met on our wibbly-wobbly adventure, also says this? A. The Gelf. B. The Emperor Dalek. C. The Werewolf. Or D. The Wire. I will go... Oh, hmm. That's a good one. There's some good options. But I am feeling drawn towards the Gelf. Haha, you have fallen at the last hurdle. It was actually D, The Wire. So two episodes back to back feature that line there. Wow. So let's have a quick look at my score. Well, if you ask me, that was bloody good going. Well done, me. You say that no matter what your result But that was really fair. good that week. Go on. It was, in fairness. It was, annoyingly so. It's that time of the week, folks, where Dean bores us or entertains us, depending on your mental disposition. And talks about the plot for this episode. So, of course, we'll be talking about the impossible planet. Otherwise, everyone's going to be very confused. Whenever you're ready, Dean. Dean? Your cue. I feel your cue, Dean. 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 Every week, I talk about the plot of an episode, but Andrew has already said that, so I don't need to talk about what's going on this week, but I will talk about what's going on in this episode of Doctor Who, The Impossible Planet. Now, where to start? At the beginning, let's say, TARDIS making some funny noises, lands on a spaceship, not really a spaceship, it's a base, but they don't know at this time. They're like, wow, why have we landed here? Let's hope we can leave again. And then they walk out and there's writing on the wall and it's like wow the TARDIS isn't translating this this must be old it must be impossibly old it must be older than my nan who's really old because I'm like 900 years old and Rose is like my nan isn't that old and then a bunch of ood walk out of the door and the ood are like we must feed and they're like oh no they're gonna eat us and then like this music starts playing and the TARDIS is flying through the time vortex while the music plays, which didn't make a lot of sense to me because the TARDIS was in the cupboard still. But once the TARDIS had finished flying, we cut back to the Doctor and Rose, who are still where they were. So obviously they weren't in the TARDIS at the time. And um, the Ood didn't actually want to eat them. The Ood were just wanting to feed them food. Like, yeah, that's kind of how that happened and people are like wow humans are here we haven't seen any bloody humans the doctor doesn't mention he's not a human because he's not he's a time lord and they're like wow humans and everyone's like wow what are humans doing here and then the doctor's like well the real question is what are you doing here and where are we and what's your name and what are we doing here and also why did you come here and also can i have a cup of tea that's the important question to the doctor all of the above and 
they're like, wow, so we're kind of floating around a big black hole on this planet, which is in stationary orbit. Well, that's not it's not stationary orbit because it's still moving, but it's not moving any closer to this black hole. And they're looking at this black hole and they're like, wow, that's impossible. And they're like, yeah, this planet is creating some kind of gravity field. It's like some kind of impossible planet. What are we doing here? And meanwhile, this guy, he's working in a lab, reading all these old words that the doctor can't translate. And then his body gets covered in them and he's all like, bloody hell, I'm a big monster guy who's being controlled by the devil. And then an ood says something weird to Rose and then the Doctor and Rose have a nice conversation and then an ood says something and then a phone says something weird to Rose and it's weird that the phone was talking in the first place I thought but anyway this weird guy is like outside the ship without a suit on or anything and he's just chilling out and he's like come here little girl who's at the window and she's not really little she's like 20 years old she is 20 years old he said in the episode but by now if she was still alive she would be older than that because this is in the future well actually it's in the past for this anyway and yeah this girl dies and is outside the ship and it's floating around and she's dead and the drilling into the center of this planet stops and they're like wow let's go see what's in the center of this planet so the doctor and a friend he's made goes down and there's like an old civilization with a big trapdoor and the trapdoor opens when the ood start going a bit crazy and like it's and the guy starts going crazy again and all his symbols reappear on his body and he's like yeah let's let's end the episode here why don't we that's what matt jones said to the piece of paper he was writing this script on and that's what they chose to do matt and that paper the end i don't know what to say about that i wish we'd had that nan related dialogue at the beginning of the episode i feel matt and that piece of paper denied us of that what do you make of the setting it's pretty interesting i like the idea of the impossible planet and yeah it's kind of an interest the whole the whole premise of the episode is built around the setting and i think the setting works well Every week, Dean and Andrew like to go for our standout moments for the episode. We don't have many this week, admittedly, because we were discussing this. This episode doesn't feel like it has moments. It's one big moment, and they all roll together. And that's a pro about this episode, that it's not a standalone series of scenes. It's an episode, and that is truly what we're here to discuss, the episode. Very well put. It's not a criticism at all of the episode, but I'd almost liken it to Tooth and Claw. I wouldn't, because this is better. Oh, oh, undeniably, it is a better episode. But because of the chase and tooth and claw, I couldn't really pick standout moments. And the same applies to this episode in a respect. Yeah, well, unfortunately, for that very reason, most of my standout moments are actually bad things that I thought were a bit off about this episode. No! The good things aren't in the moments, it's in the ideas and certain parts of the episode if that makes any sense well how about you tell us what your first thing is and it will make more sense then. well my first thing is uh a bit of a i don't like the ood joke at the mo at the opening when they're going feed 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 and then and then you go through the time vortex for some reason because i've already said that doesn't make any sense and that just worsens it and then it cuts back and they're like we'll feed you or whatever the you'd say it just it, it's just one of those weak payoffs to something dumb and i didn't really find it funny either oh well i do find it funny but 
what stood out to me looking at it in a more analytical way is that so far we haven't really had an opening pre-credit sequence where the doctor and his companion are the ones in danger normally whoever's in danger at the beginning is someone who we don't see again or that's a supporting character we normally meet the protagonist after that opening credit so I thought it was unique for that because you're thinking, wow, they're already in danger straight away. I mean, they're not in danger, though. Well, they're not, but you think that before the credits. And I think it's a good introduction to the Ood because I think when they're walking in their lines, all uniform, identical, with their little, what do you call it, the communicator thingy-majiggy? Their orbs. That's the new term that we have created for it. It does have a proper name, but I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But anyway, holding them out, speaking, I think it's a good introduction to these very good Doctor Who characters. Yeah, I don't I don't like it, really. And I've said that. That is fair enough. Don't you like the opening joke, though, with them saying, oh, if you think there's going to be trouble, we should go somewhere else. And then they just burst out laughing. I think that's quite natural. I also thought that was a bit cringy, and I wrote it down in my improvements. Whoa. We're just not going to find any common ground today, are we? But what was your next standout moment? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we will bond. Um. Well, it's another complaint, I'm afraid. I told you all my standouts are complaints this week because there's bad moments and no good moments, if that makes sense. Like, the other stuff's good. I do like this episode. And it's when the TARDIS wait, is... Wait, wait a second. There are no good moments, but no, it's a good episode. That's what we're talking about. Like, it's hard to f- pick moments out of this episode, but it's easy to pick out bad moments let's just talk about my next bad moment and that's when they realize the TARDIS has been sealed off and Rose asks about 10 times like what what's happening what's going on what's happening like we know what happened because they literally told us earlier on the episode and we've already figured it out now by Rose but you're still asking because you're a bit daft I did notice that and her cluelessness is way too exaggerated i know the companions are meant to be the more clueless of the two characters and the one that asks questions but it was so obvious to the spectator you're right it is a bit unrealistic shall we say but i really like the moment when the doctor realizes that the tardis in storage six has effectively vanished from his grasp when the sanctuary base part of it has been destroyed because of the earthquake or crop tour quake or whatever you want to call it i love how he says but you said storage five to eight and he just runs and that gradual realization and the music is a bit eerie at that moment and i love the things that you're kind of withheld or you don't really pick up on until they're drawn to your attention the only issue is that rose takes way too long to pick up on what has actually happened yeah daft people am i right i also think this episode starts in a long train of uh certain things that keep happening in doctor and one of them is sealing the tardis off i think that's something that happens in a lot of episodes for plot convenience and i think if it just happens in one episode it's not much of an issue and i think it works pretty well in this episode but i think it is eventually overused to something that keeps happening 
Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. I think it really works in this episode. It gives the Doctor and Rose a new dynamic, the thought of them having to live without the TARDIS, the fact that Rose is trapped there, she's never going to see Jackie again, the Doctor talking about mortgages. This is maybe skipping ahead one or two of your bad moments, or maybe even some of my standout moments, but I love that conversation they have with each other about mortgages and maybe they'd live in the same house and yeah but stuck with you that's not so bad and I think it's actually the first time when you really see how they work in a romantic way and it doesn't feel forced like it maybe does say straight away in New Earth or whatever so I think it's a really delicately delicately made scene. Well I hope you're happy with yourself for taking one of my few positive standout moments for that conversation I think it does work well it does work well was there anything you wanted to add or have I really stolen your thunder well the other thing I think which this episode starts which is a constant uh reoccurring thing in Doctor which is yet again fine in one episode but when you see a bunch it's just a bit repetitive which is the Doctor walking around the room going this is impossible it makes no sense this is impossible how can it be happening like it happens to you every week mate get over it (laughs) I mean, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know how impossible orbiting a black hole safely is. But I think if you're going to pace around a room and be completely caught up in your that's impossible monologue, then this is a good time to do it. Yeah, it's what I said. It's not yeah the singular episodes which make it a problem it's just when it starts happening every week which i think it does at some point is which is just david Tennant going this is impossible it makes no sense i'm just kind of like the same scene every episode i think in a way that's a massive strength of this episode as a whole the fact that as you keep saying it does things that are overused and badly done in other episodes but it does them really well and i think that Although the storyline in the next part becomes more complicated with the beast side of the story, the concept is very typical of the science fiction genre, but it's executed so well that you can't criticise it for that. So just well done, The Impossible Planet. That's what I thought whilst watching this episode. Just, just well done. And I think it's worth saying at this point that we keep talking about it being Matt Jones' work, but... If you've read The Writer's Tale like I have, this is one of the episodes that Russell T. Davis really wishes he had a writing credit on, which obviously suggests that he was highly instrumental, if not more instrumental, in the writing for this episode than Matt Jones, who you were very cruel to earlier, I must say, Dean, did. Well, he didn't even write this episode, so what does he deserve? Okay, a couple more negative moments just to get through. Uh, I think, no, I'll save that one. I could, one more negative moment I thought I'd quickly mention, which is straight after the settle down talk when Rose gets the phone call. I think it is quite an ominous moment, but definitely an overreaction when she just very dramatically throws her phone off screen. Like, I don't think I would have been that scared if I got a phone call saying, oh, who's awake or something, whatever it said. It wasn't really that scary. I mean, is that not what you do to cold callers? That's what I do. You just pick up the phone and you just... Those cold just callers, they can get you anywhere, even when you're in the farthest reaches of the galaxy. Yeah, that's what she was actually being called up by. It wasn't the beast or anything. It was just just someone asking about 
landline deals. But we digress. I think that one of my favourite moments of this episode, I, I do agree that it is an exaggerated reaction there, but I'm not bothered about it to really criticise it. But what I really like in this sort of section where there's quite a lot of sitting around, admittedly, and so one could say that it's a bit static, but I think because the conversations are good, it doesn't matter. And a part of that is Rose going to get some food and going native with enjoying the proteins. But when she talks to the Oud dinner lady, if you like, I really love how, first of all, you have Rose typically asking about the person's rights. She does it with Gwyneth. Here we have it again. Do you get paid? They treat you all right. It's very typical of her character and I find that endearing. But also you get the moment when the Oud is taken over by the beast temporarily and it's very sinister but also funny because it just comes out of nowhere and he's like I'm sorry please enjoy your meal or whatever and it's, I just think it's really well done and the fact that rather than having a threat that suddenly presents itself in this episode like you do in others the fact that there's hints at it it gradually creeps up with the he's he is awake and Toby and his hands and everything I think that it's a better way of introducing that threat, especially in a two-part episode when you have to fill in that extra time. What do you make of the whole Toby side of this story with the hands and all that? Uh, I didn't really... I think it works fine. I think there's moments where it's a bit overdramatic. One particularly I will talk about later. But, um, yeah, it's fine. I think it works well. There's not nothing spectacular, nothing bad yeah i really like the moment when you see that the writing the ancient writing is on his hands particularly before that when he sort of it's like he's got itchy hands and he takes off the the gloves i think it's pretty chilling and here's one thing that maybe i should leave to ask about next week but i'm gonna ask it now one thing I've never been 100% sure of in this two-parter is whether Toby, when he's not obviously possessed, whether he's aware of it, if he's trying to manipulate people or if he is just innocent in those other moments. I think he's innocent. Yeah, I think that. Except for the moment in the rocket in the Satan pit, which we'll talk about, obviously, next week. What do you make of Scooty's death? It's, I don't think, I think, I like the moment where she opens it up and he's standing there and he gestures for her to come over. I don't think the reveal of the death is particularly interesting. I think it's good, just nothing to note. But I do enjoy the moment, enjoy is probably the wrong word, when she actually dies. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoy that moment. Like It's my fun time go-to scene. I'm, I'm joking, obviously. I think it's pretty tragic watching her literally trying to pull the door off open door 40 open door 40 or whatever she says I thought that was a great impression but what I find so almost hypnotic about Toby in this moment is the fact that she's kind of mesmerized by it she doesn't seem threatened and I think that's quite an interesting concept that almost continues into the next episode but because we never really find out who the villain is, if it's 
really the devil and it addresses some really big questions in the Satan pit in particular but because you never really know its identity there is something almost captivating and enigmatic about it and that's not something that's really can be said for a lot of villains especially if you look back on a previous episode with the wire you literally get this exposition blurt out in the middle and it's very uninteresting whereas this sort of mystery surrounding the beast it's fantastic yeah that all makes sense to me my last stand-up moment is basically the finale as a whole mainly the bit i enjoy is the discovery of this ancient civilization when they throw up the gravity light thing or whatever and they see all the all the statues around and the pit i think toby's reveal at the end works pretty well as well as when the you'd get armed but apart from that nothing else to say about this app yeah i don't have a lot left to spiel about which will surprise everyone but I just want to give some honourable mentions to the moment when Rose at the beginning says, welcome to hell. And the doctor's like, oh, it's not that bad. And then you see the writing. I think that's funny. I also think there was a beautiful transition from Danny looking out of one of the windows in the doors or the hatches, if you like, to Toby moving his like magnifying glass thing. I don't know if anybody else spotted that, but I thought it was a very neat transition for Doctor Who. I also appreciate all the moments with the Ood basically the Ood make this episode in a way for me well the fact that they're possessed does definitely I think that it's almost on a loop towards the end you see Doctor and Ida stumbling around as the planet moves you see Zach shouting about the gravity and all that and then you see Rose and the lads being cornered by the Ood and then you almost see it all over again and I think it would be a more intense ending without that looping but I still think it's really effective and I just I just love it that's the issue with this episode well it's not an issue obviously because I love it but in talking about it in this audio medium it's hard to pinpoint those moments because it's just so consistently satisfying as an episode yeah I get that I get that This is the part of the podcast where we like to talk about the characters in the episode and the first character we talk about every week is, of course, the titular character himself, who, sorry, I mean Doctor. I think the Doctor's good in this episode. There's the one good moment with uh, him and Rose that we've already talked about when they're talking about settling down for a life. I also like the moment when he's discovering this ancient civilization and he doesn't really know what's going on. Apart from that, nothing really happens with him, in my opinion. I think he's a lot better used in the next episode, so I don't have much to say. Mm, that is interesting. I think part of the reason why you, you have little to say is because he's completely integrated into that character, is our David. So there's not a lot to note like there was in New Earth, say. But I think this episode is unique in the way that it challenges the doctor's almost survival skills the thought of him being literally an isolated man without the TARDIS that separation from his one belonging allows us to see him in a different light as we've 
already said with that conversation with Rose in particular. But I also love the elements of his character that are brought forward even more so in the Satan pit. So I don't want to say too much about that yet, but I'd say it's a really positive episode for him. And I just love how the Doctor and Rose kind of get taken into this community. Yeah, I think it's hard to talk about characters in this episode because it's an ensemble team and I think the team works well. And in this episode, we don't get enough of a picture of any individual character to actually talk about them. We probably will next week, I hope. But (laughs) there's not much to say apart from I think their dynamic works well and it seems very natural and they all have their part to play without anyone in particular standing out for the better or worse. Hmm, That is a good point. What do you make of Rose? Well, my friend Rose, I think, works well in this episode. I think I can just say the same thing as I said about the Doctor, where there's the one good moment with the talking about settling down bit where I like. And apart from that, the other good bit was the whole idea of her sticking up for the Ood, which works well as well, I think. But apart from that, not much to say on my front. She comes across as a really strong character by this point for me. Although I'm not a fan of the Idiot's Lantern, what I said last week was that she seems more independent and confident in her own ability. And this is continued in The Impossible Planet, which I think is for the better of her character. You're right, she sticks up for the youth. She doesn't really care about what the other people who she's never met Danny, Scooty, etc., what they think of her. She carries herself in a similar way to how the Doctor does in a new environment. She's become a product of his world now. And I think this is the part of Rose that I really love. I know there are some people who think that she's weaker in series two. I've read some of that on Twitter about how they think she becomes so selfish and all that. I'd argue she's always been selfish. But This is what I really love about Rose's character. She almost becomes a second Doctor. And that is something that I want to talk about a lot more in the Satan But Basically, what we're getting at is that this is a really strong episode, but a lot of the stuff we want to talk about, we want to save till next week. Exactly. Most weeks, Andrea tells us how she would improve the episode. And in the weeks when she doesn't, uh, I edit together different words she has said in previous weeks to make it sound like she's saying how to improve the episode but this week she's actually going to tell us what she would do to improve the impossible planet take it away wow i did not know you did that and that makes me very uncomfortable i'm going to try and talk for as long as i can about improvements because we've got time to fill basically because we're saving everything till the satan pit so my first improvement is Lines similar to, you really don't know, do you? And you really have no idea. You don't know. You mean to say you don't know. All those sort of lines are said repeatedly at the beginning when the Doctor and Rose arrive at the Sanctuary base. And how can they not know where they are? The fact that they're orbiting a black hole. We get the gist after a few of these lines. So I would clip out a few of them. And similarly, the hug between the Doctor and Zach when he's talking about how incredible humans are. I find that random. And though it's inoffensive, I think the scene would convey the Doctor's awe for humanity equally well 
without it. I think that Scooty floating in space after her tragic death at only the age of 20 could be improved with better tech. I say that about any CGI thing in Doctor Who basically to take up time in the improvement section. But it's still not bad, but I think it could look better. The low shot of the Doctor and Rose as they talk in that very good scene about I'm just going to say it's about mortgages. It's not really, but that's what stuck out to me anyway. It's about that scene, It's about, is it now? Right. Yeah. And basically mortgages and all that jazz, there's a low shot. And I feel it's out of place with the generic shot, reverse shots, either side. So I wouldn't have used that. James Strong, I'm sure you're great. But. I think it just makes them look weirdly big. And I know it's to capture them looking at each other and the black hole above, but I didn't think it was worth it personally. And then finally, I haven't got enough to talk about again because it's just so good. But finally, the build-up to the ending cliffhanger, as we've said, lasts too long. There's a bit of a looping. Well, it's not actual looping. I think that would be a bit of a cheat on the BBC's behalf, but it feels like a loop and it's a bit repetitive and so when you get to that final lasting image of them in danger it doesn't really have that much impact because for about the last two minutes they've been in the same amount of danger and that takes me to the end of my improvements have you got anything to add i mentioned most of mine i've got one more but it was just the i don't like the oud opening i don't like the joke at the start I don't like how many times Rose asks what's wrong. I don't like the th- phone throw. And the other moment I haven't mentioned yet is I think when Toby is first infected or possessed or whatever word you'd like to use when he's sitting at his lab or his bedroom alone and he kind of just a very dramatic and fake fall onto the floor while very dramatic music plays. And I just think it looked a bit fake and a bit too overdramatic. Well, you've never seen someone be possessed by the devil, so that might just be accurate. I have seen someone pretend to fall on the floor, though, and that's exactly what it looks like. Every week, Andrew and I like to give this episode a simple rating, and it is incredibly simple. Let me just give you a brief gander through our rating system. We rate it on a scale of 1 to 13, 1 being the worst, which of course means 13 is the best, and all the other numbers that are in the middle are in the middle. We have chosen 1 to 13 because there are 13 Doctors, but this is no way indicative that the first Doctor is the worst, or the 13th Doctor is the best, or the 13th Doctor is the worst, or the first Doctor is the best. It's a completely arbitrary system that we have invented, and it is so arbitrary, in fact, that you can give one decimal place, and that's an 8.5, aka a War Doctor, which is in between an 8 and a 9, not another number. Thank you for clearing that up. Andrew, what have you rated this episode? I gave it a 10 out of 13. If I had to deduct points, it'd be for the repetitive lines at the beginning, the drawn-out build-up to the cliffhanger, and maybe potentially some slight pacing issues. I feel like the transitions from the slow to fast scenes in this episode are more noticeable than in other episodes, but that's really nitpicking just for the sake of a third point to deduct. But also, I feel this episode is on par with the Cyberman two-parter we talked about a few weeks ago. So I gave that a 10 and I gave this a 10. 
Well, this is going to be a bit surprising because I've gone quite a bit lower. Oh. I do really enjoy this two-parter, but when watching just the first part by itself, I don't think there's as much interesting stuff used. I think the second part is where all the action and fun is at. So I have given this episode an eight. I would normally be hurt by that, but I think that really this episode is at its best when you watch it and then watch the Satan Pit right after. Exactly. It's not as interesting at all when it's just on its own. Well, anyway, if you want to hear about the better episode, then join us next week when we talk about the Satan Pit and we'll have loads to say what a good episode just an, an example of something I'm going to say next week is that I'm going to say, here's some general information for you, and that's going to be near the start of the episode. So there you go. So we'll see you then. Follow us on Instagram at chattywattypod. You can email us at chattywattypod at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts on this episode. Do you prefer this episode to the Satan Pit or the other way round just just tell us your thoughts on everything how are you doing how's life how's your nan how's your nan yeah let us know how your nan is and also please follow us on anchor fm at chatty watty saying please i sounded a bit desperate which we're not gonna lie we are so just give us loads of follows on anything you can we will reward you with smiles oh how lovely yeah, that is lovely. And on that lovely note, we will end this podcast this week. And Andrew, I kind of want a really unconventional ending this week. That sounds like a good idea.